Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host of Mission Go. Today our text is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, which say, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. This scripture tells us that we should just be content with what we have at the present time. Remember, we had nothing at birth. We owned nothing, had nothing, we're totally dependent. And at the end, we'll take nothing with us to the next life. It'll all be left behind. That's why it's important for us to live our lives faithfully each day, trusting the Lord and doing His will, asking Him to open up doors and to give us divine appointments and opportunities to share, because these things are the eternal things. These are the things that last. These are the things that bring us real contentment. Material things fade, friendships sometimes disappoint, but if we have a relationship with God and we have a communication with Him each day, praying in the morning, reading His Word, applying these things to our life, living a righteous life, there is great contentment and God will bless us and God will use us in a mighty way if we will do these things. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Christ the Blessed One gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner, list to the loving call wonderful words of life. All so freely given, wooing us to heaven. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sweetly echo the gospel call, wonderful words of life. Offer pardon and peace to all, wonderful words of life. Jesus, only Savior, sanctify forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Good morning. My name is Dennis Campbell, president of Mission Go. We're the faithful ministry that continues to do the production and broadcasting for Canada's National Bible Hour. We wish to ensure that the pastors that you have come to love and entrust so much the delivery of the true gospel continues across the airways. This morning I would like to share with you a concern. Today we have come together as followers in Christ to address an urgent matter that requires our attention and support. In various parts of the world, our fellow Christians are enduring severe persecution due to their unwavering faith. 
in the coming months, I and others must stand in solidarity with these Christians and offer our assistance in their time of need. The scriptures remind us of the importance of supporting and caring for our brothers and sisters facing persecution. In doing so, we demonstrate the love of Christ and fulfilling our calling to be his hands and feet in the world. I would like to share with you my concerns for our brothers and sisters in the Far East country that has a prime minister encouraging lawsuits and threats for preaching and teaching the Bible. I cannot share the name of the country by name as I seek to travel there and wish not to increase persecution or the prevention of this travel. Currently, an evangelistic effort are being seen as proselyting the people as an illegal act. Beatings and jail sentences have become routine for Christians in some regions of this country. When the pastors are arrested, the bail payment that is most often required is the surrendering of the title of their land holding. Thus, the property gets converted to government ownership which closes the church or any outreach of that ministry site. Regional facilitators, they often discuss and plan strategies for survival and network among themselves to support prayer and planning events. As we reflect on the biblical reference that emphasize these principles, Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember the prisoner as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since yourselves are in the body also. This verse urges us to empathize with our persecuted brethren and to remember them as if we were enduring their suffering ourselves. It calls us to offer our support both materially and spiritually to those who are imprisoned or mistreated for their faith. There are a few practical steps we can take. Number one, prayer for those in the persecuted church. Praying for their safety, courage, and endurance. Seek God's guidance for their deliverance. Pray for solidarity and fellowship with other believers. Number two, practical assistance, such as humanitarian aid, legal aid, and rehabilitation programs for survivors of the persecuted. We are looking to mobilize over 35 pastors in this high security area, covering their travel for this upcoming gathering. To provide for all of these efforts, we need to raise $35,000 Canadian. Number three, solidarity. Encourage communication and fellowship between our churches. I, along with other brothers and sisters, will take on the assignment of traveling to this place. We believe it can be of an enormous consequence. The network and the relationship building, along with the biblical strengthening and the Pacific areas of instruction, are vital to building up our personnel to cope or even survive. Being faithful to God and His Word in such condition as they face it every day. Would you support our desire for this coming event? It is intended to support the strengthening of the gospel outreach. Remember, our support for the persecuted church, it is an expression of our faith, 
May the Holy Spirit guide us as we respond to this call to action, and may our efforts bring comfort, hope, and freedom to those persecuted for their unwavering faith. Today, let us shine the light of Christ in the darkest corner of the world. Please join us as we pray and go into the field ripe for the harvest. Thank you for listening to this plea today. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program, and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners, like you. In preparation for the coming of Christmas, we would like to offer a daily readings for Advent by John Piper. These 25 brief devotional readings from John Piper begin on December 1st, and carry us to Christmas Day. We pray, that God would use these readings to deepen and sweeten our adoration of Jesus, this December and keep Him as the center and greatest treasure of your Christmas season. The candles and candies have their place, but we want to make sure that in all the coming Christmas rush and hubbub, we adore Jesus above all. To order your copy, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2R7A7 or in the U.S., Box 2010, Buffalo, New York. Thank you for your continued faithfulness. Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman, and as a continuation, printed copies are available upon request. Today we return to the subject we were discussing the last time we were together, heaven. Last time we saw that a person gets to go to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. Our works have nothing to do about our going there. We also learned that the soul of a believer goes to be with the Lord immediately at the point of death. There's no such thing as soul sleep or an intermediate place where we go to work out our salvation. Today we want to move on to other areas of consideration about heaven. It will be our desire to look at the scriptures to seek to understand what it will be like to be in the presence of God himself. The very first thing we should note that the writers of the Bible were putting down on paper things they saw that were really beyond description of anything they'd ever seen in their lives. In other words, they were trying to describe the indescribable. To begin with, let me share something a little personal. During many years of ministry, I've spoken to a lot of people who strongly believe in evolution. They try to explain how everything began from this or that. I have listened to their arguments very carefully as they seek to explain how life began and how the sun, moon, stars, and planets were formed. Then I always ask them about space. Where did it come from? How far does it reach? If we come to the end of space and come to a wall, what lies beyond it? No one has ever been able to give me an answer. However, I know there is space, but how can I describe it either? God must have created it. For me, it would be impossible for me to write something about space other than I know that it is there. So the writers of Scripture tried to describe what the presence of God is like, and they can only describe it to us in the best way they knew how. Scripture contains many glimpses into heaven. Many times these pictures are given in an apocalyptic 
or prophetic language filled with symbolism and mystery. This usually means that something of importance or with great consequences is being portrayed. However, it does not mean it is unreal. An example of this is found in Exodus 19. Moses had been up on Mount Sinai, where he met with God, who gave him instructions. He told the people to make preparations for an event that would take place on the third day after he had come down. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountains, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered by him by voice. That's Exodus nineteen fourteen to 19. This must have been an awful sight for the children of Israel to see and hear. It was written with words that we can understand, but the scene is absolutely indescribable. Just imagine the effect on those people in that desert. We cannot fully express what took place that day. Now I want to turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. There we will see a scene in heaven itself with some of the things similar to what we've just read about that day at Mount Sinai. Looking at the first five and a half verses of Revelation 4, we read, After these things I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow about the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now comparing this passage in Exodus with the one we just read from Revelation 4, I'd like us to see some of the similarities between the two. In Exodus, Moses was called by God to come up to Mount Sinai. In Revelation, John was told to come up here. In both cases, there was a voice like a trumpet. Then also, there were lightnings and thunderings in both passages. 
It is not my purpose here to go into the details of Revelation 4, but to simply show that both Moses and John were describing the presence of God. Moses did not write about what he saw on the mountain. John, on the other hand, had a difficult time putting it in words, so he described what he saw in heaven as like certain things. Both were trying to describe things which were far beyond what they knew how to put into words. We can learn from these two passages that heaven is pictured as a place of beauty that goes far beyond what we could ever imagine. All of this is given as a backdrop to depict the glory of God. By the way, in all of the biblical accounts of heaven, there's never described as it is never described as a long dark tunnel like we find in the accounts of out-of-life experiences people have had. Everything about heaven in the Bible speaks of heaven being decorated and described in terms of light, color, and beauty. Even when John describes the other inhabitants of heaven, his focus remains on the glory of God. Revelation mentions the throne 39 times. All the activities in heaven are focused in this direction, and all the furnishings only there to reflect the glory of God because it all emanates from here. The next thing I would like to consider with you is whether or not there will be a temple in heaven. In the cities of the ancient world, there were two structures that were the most important ones. They were the temple and the palace. The temple was the place of spiritual authority, and the palace was a place of civil authority. I have personally visited many of those ancient cities, and in every case it was clear that this is true. Let me give you a few verses that tell us about a temple in heaven. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. That's Revelation 3.12. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. That's Revelation 7.15. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the Ark of the Covenant was seen in the temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. That's Revelation 11.15. After these things I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, Revelation 15.5. We have just seen in four separate verses that there is a temple in heaven. Then we, when we come to Revelation 21, where we find the Apostle John describing the new Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven. When we come to verse 22 and 23 
there seems to be an apparent problem. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is the light. There seems to be a contradiction here. So how do we, do we resolve it? Some scholars would argue that there's a temple in heaven now, but when God constructs the new heaven and the new earth, they will not, there will not be one. I'm convinced that this does not catch the obvious meaning of John's description. It becomes very obvious that the temple in heaven is not a building, but it is God himself. The glory of God both illuminates heaven and defines it as a temple. When you think of a temple, you think of a place to worship. Heaven will be a place of worship, but there will be no need of a building, for we will be in the presence of the one with whom we will glad, very gladly worship for all of eternity. We will finally be in his presence forever. Some skeptics maintain that heaven will be a very dull place. They say, who wants to be a pillar that holds something up in heaven? The point of this passage is not that we become immovable doorposts in a building, but that we'll, we will enter the limitless presence of God and never leave him. In the 14th chapter of John, it gives us some very powerful thoughts about heaven. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. What a blessed hope we have in Christ. Not only did he pay the penalty for our sins, but he has already spent 2,000 years preparing a place for us. Furthermore, he promises us that we will have a wonderful home but that he will be there with us forever. The older I get, the more my desire is to be with him. I trust that that is your desire as well. As I think back on Ezekiel and John writing about heaven, what a difficult task they had. They struggled to describe the indescribable. Even if God had revealed all the details about himself and about our heavenly home, we would not be able to comprehend it. We're limited by vocabulary and having a finite mind. We have no ability to grasp infinite things. We can only get a glimpse of what the Lord has prepared for us. 
The Apostle Paul gives us some insights about what the future holds in Ephesians 2. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As we think about heaven in light of the passage just read, we can only begin to realize what God has done for us. Think of what we once were before him. We were wretched sinners living under the control of Satan himself. There was nothing we could do to please God. In our helpless situation, God still loved us and sent his son to pay the price of death for our sins. It was only by his grace that he has saved us. We had absolutely nothing to do with it but receive his gift. Now we come to the part that deals with heaven. Not only did he save us, but he wants to show us the riches of his grace and kindness throughout all the ages to come. Heaven will be the place where he can shower us with his love for all eternity. I can guarantee you it will not be a boring place. If God poured out his love to us when we were sinners, can you even imagine the love that he will show us when we're in his presence forevermore? When we think of this love, I must remind you that we had nothing to do to get it. The work was done. The gift was given. All we have to do is receive that gift of God, which is eternal salvation. By putting your faith in Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate sacrifice for your sins, then heaven will be yours and God can shower his love on you forever. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I pray you will make that decision to do that right now. We extend our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you for tuning to this radio broadcast today. Your presence and attentive listening have truly made a difference. 
Today's message was a testament to the power and beauty of Jesus Christ and the eternal truths found within the Bible. We sincerely hope that these messages have touched your hearts, illuminated your minds, and enriched your Christian walk. For those of you who may not yet know Jesus Christ, we humbly pray that these messages and broadcasts serve as guiding light, leading you to an understanding of the profound truth and the wisdom encapsulated in the Bible. May they stir curiosity with you, prompting a sincere search of understanding of the Gospel and your personal connection with our Savior. In preparation for Christmas, we would like to offer a daily readings for Advent by John Piper. These 25 brief devotional readings from John Piper begin on December 1st, and carry us to Christmas Day. We pray, that God would use these readings to deepen and sweeten our adoration of Jesus, this December and keep Him as the center and greatest treasure of your Christmas season. The candles and candies have their place, but we want to make sure that in all the coming Christmas rush and hubbub, we adore Jesus above all. To order your copy, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2R7A7 or in the U.S., Box 2010, Buffalo, New York. Thank you for your continued faithfulness.